Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're having a great week so far. Uh, it's been kind of a roller coaster for me up and down with work, um, the pregnancy and all that, and COVID, but today has been a good day so far. Uh, I want to thank you if you listened to last week's episode about musicals. Um, last week we covered Tick, Tick, Boom, Dear Evan Hansen, and La La Land. Uh, had a lot of listeners that I saw on some of the analytics and, you know, I really appreciate uh, everybody who, who listened and, um, yeah, thanks for tuning in and thanks for tuning into this episode. Uh, on this episode, we are talking about a 1980s film, uh, specifically came out in 1981 and that's an American werewolf in London. This is the horror comedy film that was directed by John Landis. Um, this is one of the films that I grew up not watching but when I was growing up, this movie was always on, on like, I think TNT, TBS, USA channel. Um, and I never watched it. And part of the reason I never watched it is because I thought, I actually had it confused with Teen Wolf, uh, the 1985 Michael J. Fox Teen Wolf. And I always thought that they were the same movie. And I've seen scenes from Teen Wolf where, you know, Michael J. Fox's character does like the uh, the dunk when he's in Fox, uh, not Fox, um, when he's in a, a werewolf. And I always thought it looked so stupid. And I just had zero interest in watching that movie. Um, and then it wasn't until this week where I was watching a video from What Culture Hair Horror? What Culture Horror? And um, an American werewolf in London made it into one of their top 10 videos. And um, after like looking up what that movie was, I was like, oh, wow, okay, I guess it's not Teen Wolf and made me prompt to look it up and i found it so it is streaming for free right now on peacock um i think with ads there's like three or four ads in there so it's not you know nothing too crazy um but you can stream it for free all you have to do is download the peacock app um so yeah i mean let's get into like the history of uh of john landis um he's a name and he's a director that i've heard a lot about but i never like i couldn't put any movies to his name uh, so when I went onto the IMDb, I saw some of the movies that he's known for. And I mean, you could tell he was really popular in like the late 70s and then throughout the 80s and then had some stuff in the 90s. Uh, so to name a few, he's known for uh, National Lampoon's Animal House, which I have not watched. And again, it's like one of those classics that um, I feel like every movie lover should watch. Um, so that's on my watch list. Another one is uh, The Blues Brothers, which came out a year before An American Werewolf in London. Again, probably a movie that everyone should watch, and I haven't seen it yet, so um, that's going on the watch list. Uh, on top of that, we have stuff like The Twilight Zone, the movie. You have um, Three Amigos. You have Coming to America. And then, oddly, you have Beverly Hills Cop 3. Um, he didn't do one or two, it looks like. And then he did Blues Brothers 2000 and then just did a bunch of TV series after that um, and kind of just like fizzled out. But um, yeah, talking about American Werewolf in London, this is, of course, going to be a spoiler review and like a spoiler um, episode because this is what now 40 years old. Wow. So, um, yeah, I just want to talk about the film. Uh, and, you know, overall, I, I really enjoyed it. Like I went into it with an open mind and, um, I loved almost every, every second of it. So yeah, I mean, let's get into just kind of like a, 
the flow of the movie as I watched it. Okay, so I want to start off by saying that this is supposed to be a comedy horror movie. And before watching it, I didn't know that. I thought it was just a horror movie. Um, and then there was just things that kept on happening that made me think, like, what the hell am I watching? Because um, there's 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 pockets of horror that's, that's in there. There's pockets of comedy. Um, and it's not like it blends together. Uh, you just, like I said, you kind of forget what you're watching as you watch it. So when the movie starts out, they do that older movie thing. And I don't know... I don't realize if they're still doing it now in movies that are coming out, you know, in like the last maybe 10 or 15 years. But it seems like in a lot of these older movies, they did that really slow opening credits where it's just a lot of like, if it's an animation or like uh, just B-roll or just landscape shots, um, they do that in this movie super long. It's a few minutes and then you kind of get into... The two main characters, um, David and Jack, and uh, you know what I what I liked about those two characters and how they did the first introduction scene, um, they play it slow, and it's just a lot of dialogue and back and forth between the two of them. But what it does nicely is it sets up like the background that these two characters have. You know, they're best friends from I think high school. They graduated and now they went to go on this trip um, to Northern England, and then. Um, supposed to later on go to Rome, I believe. Uh, so like the banter that they have back and forth is great. They talk about um, a character that they're going to mention again later, Debbie Klein, and, and what Jack was hoping for with her and um, just like the honesty that they have for each other, even though yeah, I mean, you could tell like they're best friends. So that sets it up really well. The next scene, when you get into the Slaughtered Sheep Bar, um, this scene, like I was cracking up because while when you get into this bar, right, and like you try to put yourself in the shoes of, of David and Jack, you're in a foreign country. You go to a pub that's named the Slaughtered Sheep. The sign on the um, the pub door is a wolf with like a scythe through its head with it like bleeding crazily. And it's just weird, right? You walk into the pub and everyone stops what they're doing and everyone stares at you and, and you just feel weird. And then you look to the left of the bar and then you see a pentagram like drawn in blood with burnt candles, half burnt candles next to it. And then, you know, you obviously will start to panic and, and wonder what the hell is going on. Um, and that's exactly what Jack was doing. You know, he's like, David, you got to ask him about the pentagram. Like, it's so, it's so strange. Why is it there? And uh, in the middle of one of the Englishmen telling a story, Jack interrupts them um, while everyone's laughing. And he is laughing while asking the question like, well, you know, well, seriously, what, what's up with the pentagram? And everybody stops and basically they kick out. And it's just hilarious the way that the actor who plays Jack delivered the line because they go from from all laughing and the way his, his expression is to dead like, oh, man, I messed up. Why did I ask that question? And then, you know, they kick him out. Um, of the bar and this leads to again now with the pacing of the film after watching that funny scene I forgot it was a horror so you know they leave the pub and the the um, the patrons at the pub are saying oh you know we shouldn't have left them they're having their argument of you know basically it's murder because we know what's going to happen out there um, because I mean as we can assume it 
probably a werewolf outside. And the scene of them getting stalked by the werewolf is pretty suspenseful. And they don't do the classic cliches of like, you know, the false jump scares. And, you know, there are jump scares in the movie, but um, it doesn't work the way jump scares are working now. So I was watching this on my iPad. I wasn't watching it with like surround sound or anything. Um, And even watching that scene, it got pretty tense. And like hearing some of like the music work that they were doing, some of the sound effects work, like I felt like I was hearing some of the growls over my own shoulder. And I'm watching on my iPad. So really well done scene. And, um, you know, you get into uh, to, to Jack getting messed up by the, the werewolf and pretty gruesome scene. And, um, you know, David comes back to try and help him. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's too late. And then uh, he gets attacked by the werewolf. But the, the patrons come in and then kind of uh, save the day and, and care the, kill the werewolf. So yeah, we fast forward and, you know, David gets sent to the hospital and um, we find out that it's three weeks later. So the funny thing about this scene, again, now you went from comedy in the beginning to horror and then now they're going to flip it on to comedy again. So the U.S. Embassy rep, uh, Collins, is actually played by Frank Oz, who if, if you don't know who Frank Oz is, um, he was, I believe, a partner of Jim Henson and uh, a super like vital puppeteer and a big player when it came to like Sesame street and, and everything they did with, with puppeting. And, um, yeah, I didn't even like recognize him when he came up on screen and I didn't notice till after the film. So he comes in and if you think about what just happened, so David lost his best friend in this horrific attack. Right. And, and basically Jack was all bloodied. And Collins, the U S embassy rep walks in and he has a hard smile on, and starts talking to David about what's going on and, you know, being nice. But he has a big smile on his face and, you know, talking about the death of his best friend. Only for him to, like, start leaving the room after that whole scene finished. And then tell the doctor, you know, he flips the switch and says, what the hell is wrong with these damn teenagers? They never appreciate anything you do for them. And just, like, completely flips a, uh, a switch. And, it, and it's funny. Um, it's just funny how that whole interaction uh, happen and then it, you know for it to be Frank Oz, I think is even more funny because maybe it was just a a line about everything he did for children growing up with like Sesame Street or um, you know with, with with that and then not maybe not thanking him later on but uh, yeah so um, love that part. So while David's in the hospital, we get a couple of dream sequences. And in these dream sequences, we're going to get a couple more jump scares. And um, you don't know what's coming because at the time, we don't know if David's dreaming or not. Um, so the first one is David's running through the woods, um, and it's like a POV style. And, you know, the assumption is that he's the werewolf. And um, what we don't know as the audience is we don't know if th this is getting recapped. Like this is what he did after he survived the attack by the first werewolf. Um, and if this is just kind of going back to show what he did. Uh, but then we, we later realize that it's a it's um, a dream. And so he sees himself in a bed, and he sees Nurse Price. And the jump scare here that you've probably seen in other YouTube videos like Watch Mojo or What Culture or Screen Rant, if you watch those type of videos, um, is when he has like the Dracula-looking face because he doesn't look like a werewolf, but uh, it just cuts to his face, and 
yeah, that's one jump scare right there. And then the second one is, uh, they make it think they make you think that he is back in the U.S. and maybe it's a flashback to him preparing to leave for his trip. And um, someone keeps ringing on his doorbell, and then his dad answers it, and then you get um, freaking werewolf Nazis who just like have Uzis and Mac tens, and they just like completely. Um, like blast his uh, David's family, and then you find out that it's a dream, um, and they do the whole Inception thing before Inception did it, and it was a dream inside a dream because he wakes up, and Nurse Price is in there, and she gets attacked by another werewolf Nazi, and when you talk about the jump scares in this movie versus the jump scares that we're like we've gotten used to now in like the 2000s and like the 2010s and then now the 2020s, I guess. Um, these jump scares, they don't have the cliche of having suspenseful music build up to something that is obviously going to be a fake out. And I feel like that's what you get a lot now in horror movies this day. And I don't know if it's because they think that the audience is just dumb and, you know, they're trying to allude to something that's not there because that's what people are going to watch horror movies for. Um, but in this film, I like that you don't get that because you're literally just watching a scene and you have a jump scare. Like you jump because you got scared, right? Not because you heard some music and it's creeping up and now you get, you know, you sink in your seat, that sinking feeling and thinking, oh my gosh, like what's going to come up on screen? Um, but you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but in this film, they don't do that. They do jump scares, I think, the right way in the original way. Um, and it, they work well because I got startled, you know? Um so, you know, speaking about with like not even, you know, let's go past the um, past the jump scares and past the dream sequences now and just talk about the movie. So it already works as like a horror mystery for me, like up to this point, because now we're about a half hour into the film and um, it starts to kind of work as a as a horror mystery. And again, I, I started to forget that it was a comedy just going back and forth. And what comes next is a super emotional scene between Jack and David and, um, you know, talking about what happened and what David needs to do. Basically, David needs to kill himself because um, anybody who's killed by a werewolf gets stuck in purgatory and they just deteriorate over time. And, you know, it's just they don't get peace after they've moved on. Uh, so after that scene happens... What I think you get is so weird. So David thinks that he's dreaming and he calls Nurse Price in and um, you get a kiss that is more random than the Rose and Finn kiss that you get in The Last Jedi. And it's just so weird, I think. Like, obviously, you know, Nurse Price, they cast her because, you know, she's a pretty woman. Um, But, like, there was nothing between the two of them that would have caused David to do that and would have caused her to accept that kiss, right? And uh, it's just so random. So after that, you fast forward to um, David getting uh, discharged from the hospital. And I guess after that kiss, you know, maybe Nurse Price did feel feel something for him and, you know, she volunteers to take him back to her place and uh, it leads to a very, very strange shower scene. I mean, 
the way they shot this, so it's, I don't know if this had a rated R rating, but um, there's some nudity in the in the film, uh, specifically in the shower scene and, and the um, sex scene that leads after it. And uh, just the way that they were kissing in the shower was so strange. Like, it looked like they didn't know how to kiss. And then after that, the sex scene that they have is so gratuitous and it lingers for so long. And honestly, I don't, maybe it's because it's a horror movie that they had to add, you know, nudity into it and just the audience that they were playing to when they released the film. But um, honestly, I feel like you can do without that whole scene. Um, I don't really think it adds to the movie. If anything, it detracts just because it is so gratuitous Uh, and just so weird the way they were acting like it doesn't look like that's not how people kiss <laughs> the way they were kissing and if you watch the movie you'll know what I'm talking about um so yeah let me get into the next scene when when the doctor visits the slaughtering lamb so when the doctor gets to the pub um there's not as many people this time around as when we saw it earlier in the film i think there's only three characters uh in this scene and it's the guy who was playing darts, the guy who was playing chess, and then the barkeep. And the whole interaction between these four people while they're there, um, it's so funny how they made the actors uh, portray the way they did because the whole time they have a lot of cutbacks between each character that's not the doctor. Uh, and while the doctor's asking all these questions, they keep like shifty, like they're so shifty eyed looking back and forth at each other, like side eyeing each other. And, um, like if you were the doctor and you saw this, like if you guys are really trying to cover something up, you're doing such a shite job at doing it because of how, um, obvious they were. And, uh, it's just funny how they shot it and how, and how it actually, um, ended up looking. Cause it was just so funny. Um, <clears throat> after that scene, you know, it's clear, uh, that the werewolf thing is real and the doctor starts to believe himself. Then you switch back over to um, David and uh, and Nurse Price, uh, Alex. And I started to think at this time, like three weeks have passed since the attack. He now goes home with a nurse. And at any point, do you ever see him talk to his parents? And I thought it was strange because he has, like from the Nazi dream sequence, I don't know if, like him being around his whole family and how he acted in his dream was just part of the dream. But it seems like he had some relationship with his two younger siblings and his parents, right? I mean, they had a decent home um, and he's doing his homework on the table. Um, So it's like weird that he is a character and, you know, I get it's a movie, but there's no contact with his family up until this point. And even for like Jack's family, I mean, you're telling me that your son and his best friend go off on a trip. Your son gets killed and his best friend just stays in Europe and decides to, uh, you know, I know they already had the funeral while, while, you know, David was in his coma, but like, he just is like, well, I'm already here, so I'm just going to make the best of it. Uh, and, you know, I guess continue to go on his trip. Uh, so <laughs> that was funny and weird at the same time. Now, one of the best scenes in the movie that I'm going to talk about is the transformation scene. So I think up until this point, you never really get a good look at what that original werewolf looked like. And you don't really know what the werewolves look like in this movie up to this point. So 
this transformation scene, like they, they don't hide anything. They show the whole transformation from him being a human to him being a werewolf. And how graphic the practical effects were and the visual effects. I mean, for its time, we're talking about 40 years ago now. I mean, there's movies that come out now that don't have as great practical effects or um, great visual effects that this movie had. And, uh, I mean, it's a great, great shot. The background music, I wrote a note for the background music. And honestly, I'm trying to remember if it was good or bad, but I feel like I think the background music was like a like a peppy song. And it's funny that they chose that because I think you could have ran it without the music. But again, because it's horror comedy, you have the horror happening and then you have the comedy happening. Um, and that works. The funniest thing about that scene, so while you get such a good transformation scene, <laughs> the last thing that David says as he's going into his final transformation, keep in mind, he's like screaming in agony and pain because like, his body is just contorting into this different uh, shape that it's never been in, right? His bones are breaking and all this stuff. And he um, he apologizes to his friend for calling him a meatloaf because <laughs> earlier in the film when Jack visits him while he's in purgatory, like I said, um, the victims go through purgatory and they kind of deteriorate while they're there and they haven't passed on into the afterlife. And he calls him a meatloaf. <laughs> so for them to do the callback and have him say, Jack, I'm sorry for calling you a meatloaf. It was so funny, and I think it was like the cherry on top of such a good scene in the movie. So after the uh, transformation scene, I mean, we get a pretty standard, um, I guess, killing montage here, and uh, it's just like, the, you know, David going on his killing spree and in London, and uh, just you see all the victims that he claims, and what is noteworthy about that scene is what I'm going to talk about next. So a uh, doctor comes back from East Proctor from the pub and he confronts Miss Price about what he found out about the whole werewolf thing. And uh, he starts to talk about how it could be maybe delusion or neurosis that the whole town um, is under, right? And then maybe this whole town is kind of drinking the same water or drinking the same Kool-Aid, if you will, that uh, the werewolves are quote unquote real. And, um, you know, he talks about how David's wounds were already cared for before he got picked up by the London authorities and, and sent over to the London hospital. And so he starts comparing it to, or not comparing, he starts analyzing it and starts to say that, you know, maybe if these people talked about it so much in front of David, that maybe they convinced David that werewolves are real. And of course, you know, in this world, in this reality, it is real. But to Miss Price and to the doctor, they don't know that yet. So they talk about logic and they talk about their experience as, you know, um, healthcare professionals. And they're saying maybe it's a delusion of the mind. And that maybe, mm, well, this is not in the movie, but then I thought, well, what if it was like an injury to the head? Because the werewolf slashes David in his head and he gets knocked unconscious and then he sees the man next to him when they kill the werewolf because he turns back into the man and he sees the man who died. And then I thought, what if there was a twist ending here? And how crazy it would have been that it was not a horror movie, but like a psychological like thriller comedy this whole time. And um, how insane it could have been. So let's say that Doc's you know, hypothesis was correct, that 
Um, this was all in David's head the whole time. And uh, how we just watched his like killing spree, right? And, and like all the victims that he claimed. If we were to watch that back at the end of the film, and it's not him as a werewolf, because you saw spurts of him being a werewolf, but it's just him as like a naked person running through the streets of London killing people. Um, I feel like it could have worked in like as another movie, like, hey, this guy was just crazy the whole time. He wasn't actually um, a monster. And then now that I say it out loud, now I feel like, I mean, that's what The Village is, right? By M. Night Shyamalan. Because there is no actual monster. They find out that it's one of the the villagers the whole time dressed up as a monster. Okay, so never mind. Maybe I just gave the plot of a terrible movie by M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, so I apologize. So forget that I said the whole psychological thing. It's not true anyways. Going back to the morning after the whole killing spree happened. So Doctor uh, calls Miss Price and is like, hey, you know what? There were some killings that happened in London on the chance that it is David. You got to maybe bring him back here to the hospital and get him here as quickly as possible and come straight here. And uh, unfortunately for her, while they're in the cab ride, her and David going to the hospital, the uh, cab driver talks about the killings that happened, all these people that died. And, you know, David freaks out because he's like, wow, Jack was right. Like, I, I don't remember any of this, but I guess I killed people. And he goes out to uh, just in public and tries to get himself arrested unsuccessfully. And um, yeah, I mean, yeah, they, they don't get to uh, to get to the hospital. And in the like climactic moment where you see David change his mind about what he wants to do, like, you know, he he knows now he can't have the life of continuing on and and, um, you know, going on his trip, ending up with Miss Price and doing whatever he wants to do after that because he realized he's a killer. And uh, you get this weird, weird moment, and he pulls the Ted Mosby and says, I love you to Miss Price after they'd known each other for like a few days. Um, and it's funny because leading up to that point, Miss Price is trying to convince him otherwise that, hey, like, come with me, we'll take care of you, you don't know what you did yet. And then once he hits her with the I love you, she she goes, what? <laughs> and stops. And I mean, she doesn't completely stop, but like the, what she says and how the actress did it, it, it worked. Uh, it was so well acted and so well delivered. It was pretty funny. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, he leaves and ends up going to a, um, what, I guess like a porno theater. And he goes to the theater and is visited by Jack again. And then he's visited now by everyone else that he killed the night before. And before he gets the chance to kill himself, because uh, he realized that's what he has to do after talking to all those people he killed, um, he starts turning into a werewolf. And now this is where you're going to get into already the final act of the film. <laughs> so when he leaves the film, you get such a bonkers escape scene because he bust he burst out of the theater after the cops had tried locking him in and he kills that one cop that's just been a pain in the ass the whole movie um, and I forgot to mention him earlier but this guy's just been a pain in the ass for everybody and uh, so he kills him and starts running through Piccadilly Square or Circle or whatever that place is called and just the uh, the car crash that ensues after that is so over the top. Like there's like a 20 car 
pileup and people like getting thrown out of windows of cars. And it's not like they're driving 80 miles an hour. I mean, these are surface streets, right? So at most, they're maybe driving 25, 30 miles an hour. But you got people flying out of windshield, getting run over, and it's just so crazy. <laughs> um, and I feel like a lot of the budget went to that scene, right? Because I looked up the budget, and the budget for the film was $10 million, which, uh, I don't, you know, relative to the time, I, I looked up another film, and I don't know if this is true or not, actually, but A Nightmare on Elm Street... Let me just double check this. I think a, a Nightmare on Elm Street is a $1.8 million budget. That, that can't be right. Let's see here. Uh, because I think to shoot that whole scene must have been really expensive with the cars. And I mean, there's a lot of cuts. So, you know, they did it a lot of times. Um, yeah, so the budget for a Nightmare on Elm Street was $1.8 million, And this movie was $10 million. And if you look at the gross numbers, so A Nightmare on Elm Street grossed $25 million worldwide. So they had a good uh, return. And then uh, American Werewolf in London, $10 million budget, and they grossed uh, $30 million worldwide. So um, not great in terms of the ROI compared to Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, both being horror movies. But um, yeah, I mean, that that's just what I was talking about with the, I guess, the budget of the film and that whole scene. Um, the last scene though, okay. I, I'd have some, you know, complaints about the movie, but I, I did enjoy the, the movie very much and there's just weird stuff that happened, but, um, don't take it the wrong way. I still enjoy the movie. Uh, so another thing that I'm going to, I'm not going to complain about it, but I just find it so funny. So like my dad and I, I started shooting, um, I've, I've started like, I guess getting, privy to the whole world of like firearms when I was young I was like nine or ten years old um just learning about safety with firearms and just knowing how to properly use them and respect them for what they are and my you know my dad used to take us shooting like at the shooting range and stuff and um if you've ever shot a gun you know that it's not easy to hit your target the first time you're shooting or even even now like 10 yards 20 yards 30 yards 100 yards um, it's hard to to be on target every time. Uh, and even when it's like broad daylight out, like at a, a shooting range. So what was funny here is in the scene when David as a werewolf is cornered in the in the corner of the alley and Alex or Miss Price runs up to him. I want to say from just how it looks, I'm not a math expert here, but it looks like they were about 70 or 80 yards out and it was dark and it was hard to see. And Miss Price is standing right in the middle of the alleyway. However, these cops are able to shoot in the dark, 70 yards away, with a a civilian in front of them, and just completely nail David. And they, I mean, they end up killing him. And it's just like one of those things where it's really... And I I know I can't talk about realism because we're talking about a freaking movie about werewolves. But, I mean, damn, those are some sharp shooters. I mean, those are some of the best shooters in the world if they're hitting that out 70 yards with pitch black, you know, in the in the alleyway and having an obstruction right in front of them um, and not hitting her or hitting anything else. So that's awesome. Um, but, yeah, right after that scene, the, the movie basically ends, and it feels like it's super abrupt, you know, and you don't get a happy ending for anybody here. There's no happy ending for Miss Price. There's no happy ending for David. 
And, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, what did you expect them to run off into the sunset together? Uh, but, you know, super enjoyable movie. Uh, this actually, for this episode, this wasn't the movie that I was going to talk about. Um, I had already started writing notes for How I Met Your Mother because uh, How I Met Your Father, the new, uh, it's not a reboot, but I guess it's, honestly, it feels like they just shot a pilot and then they just slapped on the How I Met Your Father title to it. Uh, That's coming out on January 18th. The day that I'm releasing this episode today is the 14th. So I figured, you know what, we'll, we'll save How I Met Your Mother and How I Met Your Father for next week uh, and pick it up there. But um, if you made it to the end of this one, I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. It was a super enjoyable movie to watch. Uh, if you got through this whole thing and didn't watch it, then go to Peacock and watch the film and you're going to appreciate it. Uh, it. It's a good time. So. Thanks again for listening. Have a great week, and I'll see you on the next episode.